everybody. I am here at the YAL conference in Sydney with Dave Farley. Hi, everybody. It's a total pleasure to meet you. We've never met before this trip. And so, um, you know, one of the co-authors of the book, Continuous Delivery uh, with Jez Humble and a, uh, well, you're a veteran software legend and, and uh, consultant. You're an that's, in, independent. That's code for old, right? <laughs> Legendary. <laughs> um, you are an independent software consultant. Yeah. Um, you also created the Reactive um, Manifesto. I'm one of the creators, One yes. of the creators of that. And uh, you were the head of software development for LMAX. Yes. What is LMAX? So L LMAX was a startup company that was tasked with building one of the highest performance financial exchanges in the world. And we started out while I was in the middle of writing the continuous delivery book. And so <laughs> it's like a clean room experiment in what you could do with continuous delivery in a very technically demanding environment. And so there are lots of nice stories that came out of it. Excellent. We ended up building a very, very high performance team. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a great place to work for a while. Amazing. Well, so not only were you building that book, you're writing the book and doing LMAX. So that was the, yes. uh, amazing. Yeah. That was in the UK? Yes, in the yeah. UK. Oh, excellent. Well, okay, so we, um, well, so you've given the keynote here at Yao on, uh, yeah. and tell, tell us a little bit about your talk. So my talk is, uh, the title is Taking Back Software Engineering, and, and my, my thesis is that certainly in, in certain agile circles, the term software engineer had kind of lost some meaning. Uh, and also, actually, when we applied it before then, we weren't really being engineers. I think that one of the ways of observing what modern agile techniques look like is actually it's we're starting to approach something that you could in, envisage being an engineering discipline in the sense that it allows us to amplify our craftsmanship and our creativity mm. and get, get that more reliably um, to work for us to, cr to create software more efficiently that, that pleases our users more. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Very good. Um, well, I, I know we, we talked about a variety of things that we wanted to talk about on the show. Yeah. Um, where shall we begin? Um, what calls out to you? There's... Uh, so so I, 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 we, let's talk about experimentation because okay. I, th I think that's that kind of links with the, the engineering discipline. So experiment and learn rapidly is what mo a principle in modern agile. And yes. of course, modern agile is reverse engineered, but we think of as success, uh, the successful principles of building good software, but also you know, other things, other endeavors. Yes. So yeah, how does that work for you? So, so I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm kind of a popular science nerd. I like reading about physics and those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And my take on what my, my approach to software development continuous delivery is about is it's about the application of the scientific method to software development. So we're, we're trying to apply that the humanity's best problem solving technique, which is the scientific method, to solving problems in software. Mm -hmm. And for me, that operates at all levels of granularity. So when I'm writing, I, I, when I'm writing a test to, to do test-driven development, I'm gonna write the test, and even if I'm working on my own, I'm gonna say out loud the nature of the failure that I expect to see when I run the test. That's mm -hmm. my hypothesis. Mm -hmm. yes. And then I'm gonna run the test, that's my test. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't match, then I know that the test doesn't meet its needs. So it works at that level. But 
much more importantly than that is pervasive across the whole of development so the other level at which these sorts of experiments operate is we want to be able to have an idea we want to be able to get some software into the hands of our users and we want to figure out what our users make of the software mm. and that's the way that we build great software that makes people awesome mm. uh, and uh, amplifies their capabilities it focuses on do, doing the right kinds of things continuous delivery for me is a process and a technology that kind of facilitate provides a platform really for those kinds of experiments That's and awesome. and my fundamentally I don't believe that human beings do anything complicated other than through a series of experiments and progressive learning mm. okay wow it's awesome I mean uh, and what what got you involved in um, continuous delivery when, when did you first start doing continuous delivery that's a little that's a little bit fuzzy and gray because there are threads of it that go mm. all the way back so my the first time I did continu continuous integration was about 1991 mm -hmm. uh, CI CI sort of mm -hmm. doing continuous builds and with, yeah. with a small number of tests on, on builds and so on um, I, I got a job um, working for ThoughtWorks a consultancy that, that at the t in London uh, and at the time not when I joined, but, but, but shortly after I joined, it became kind of one of those hot spots. It, I, I think that it was widely regarded at the time as one of the, yeah. the places to be for yeah. agile thinking mm -hmm. for a little while. Mm -hmm. And there were lots of wonderful ideas that were fizzing around and, and, and people that, that, that came up with good things. I worked on ThoughtWorks' largest project at that time, what we believed to be at the time um, the biggest agile project in the world, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. building a point of sale system, mm -hmm. and lots of the learnings from that came there. So, so ideas yeah. of high level test automation and those sorts of things were already in place, but the way in which we organized it started to get more towards continuous delivery the deployment automation, the mm. feedback channels, and all those sorts of things. Yeah, and then we started thinking about it around then, I think. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, so getting into the early 2000s then? Yeah, so, so, so it was the, uh, that, was, that was around 2003 mm -hmm. sure, uh, sure. when we were doing that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, good engineers automate things. So yes. uh, you know, once, you go, once you've got CI working, continuous integration, yeah. it's natural to say, well, what's next? Yes. And uh, yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, uh, were you driven by lean ideas of like, you know, concept to cash? Uh, you know, that's the shortest cycle time yeah. from the idea to in production and, and potentially making money. If I'm honest, I, 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 I think those sorts of ideas came a little bit later. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think for me, it started yeah. more as the engineering disciplines yeah. around. It was we, we, we were trying to do extreme programming mm -hmm. and we were, you know, we were just fine. We were building some big, complicated systems and we were, we were just finding ways to cope and make extreme programming work really yeah, yeah. that's where it started from yeah. I think I, th I, th I think through my software development I've always kind of had that link a little bit with mm -hmm. trying to make sure that my, my my dream is to build software that makes people go wow yeah, okay, goes and, wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's consistent with make people awesome. Yeah, it is. It is indeed. And so and so that's that's uh, you know, that's always been a driver for me. Mm -hmm. I've liked that little glow when somebody liked the software that I built. Yeah. So, so I, I always try and be close to, um, to, to, to the users. But, mm. but I didn't really think about that yeah. uh, in, in continuous delivery, in particular the lean stuff, until, until a bit later. Yeah, yeah. It's like, like, likewise, likewise. I mean, um, the Mary and Tom Puffendike started writing those books on lean software development yeah. yes. based on bringing ideas from the Toyota, Toyota production system and all that stuff. So yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, I think we progressively get better at 
at describing what we even did in the past. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I think that's a that's a lot about what we do. Is is actually I, I don't think there are many new ideas. Yeah. yeah. So I, the best description that I've seen of test driven development is from 90, Alan Purvis in 1968. Mm -hmm. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. It's a perfect capturing of uh, of, uh, of, awesome. of the description of test driven development. Mm -hmm. um, 1968. Yeah. Wow. I don't know where we went wrong, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no one listened to him. <laughs> Nobody listened Not to until the until the 90s. Yeah. yeah. But but uh, but so so I, th I think a lot of what we do is that we find better ways of synth synthesizing the descriptions of things, and that's really important. I think that's how learning happens in. Yeah, uh, discipline. That that's the entire idea behind modern agile. Basically, I mean that that is why I, we created this yeah. this wheel here, and uh, we're talking about this now. Is saying that look, if we're gonna if we're gonna try to really be effective with agile, and not just get into certifications and rituals and yeah. frameworks and tools, let's let's go back to the 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 principles that really drive change, that really make uh, a difference. Yes. And that, that's why I'm talking about this. But talking to a practitioner like yourself, like we were on the exact same path. Yeah. Um, I'm just a little better looking, but that's fine. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> no, I'll take that. You have worse tasting shirts, though. Yeah, you're right. Um, uh, we we're on the same. We're doing the same thing. It's just like with different words, and, yeah. and um, mm -hmm. you know, all trying and, and that focus on the users. Was your early experience in IT, or were you like closer to your users? No, my, my no, I'm I'm a software developer. I, I'm a coder. I've yeah. I've I've been that's what I've been doing for a very yeah. long time. I added it up recently, and it's very scarily. I've been coding for thirty eight years. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, I don't even want to say how long I've been doing yeah. it. Um... <laughs> but it's but but it's um, uh, but it's 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 been it, it started from there. But I started in the very early days of home computers. Yes. At, at least in the UK, and so computers yeah. were simpler. Mm -hmm. It was you know. I was writing stuff for myself. For I, was yourself. Writing, I was writing games, that's, really. That's yes, yes. And uh, and so I started there. Mm -hmm. And so I've, I've always had this this tie, I suppose. Mm -hmm. As I said, I want to I want to write software that makes people go wow. And so that's that's part of my motivation. I wanted to have a better vocabulary because I was taking the SAT exams in high school, and so I wrote myself a vocabulary drill system. All right, cool. I called it you know a vocabulary drill system, and then I used it for French as well. Learning yeah. French, I'd put words in there and yeah. quiz myself. So, you know, yeah, we'd make things for ourselves yes. to make ourselves all more yeah, awesome. Yeah. And, and this was natural. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot there are programmers who start their career in an IT shop where they're insulated from the users. Yes. And they they are given a process imposed typically and and they never really get that experience of, of, of observing the user and trying to make them really have that wow experience which yeah. which is the heart and soul of what we do. I I, I, I think if if you want to have I think the biggest impact that you can have in a software team is just to get members of the team sitting next to somebody using their software. Oh my gosh, yes. There's, yes. there's you know, immediately they'll be going, blimey, I didn't realize that they were going to do that. Yeah, I or, talked about this, <laughs> and I talked about this with Jeff uh, Patton, that boy, do you get motivated. When yeah. you see someone misusing your software or just yeah. getting confused by it, yeah. it's huge motivation to go fix it. Yes, absolutely. Right? People say, how do, you, how do you get better productivity for your team? Yeah. Well, <laughs> Let them observe users of the yeah, system, yeah. and let them observe how yeah. awful your software yes. is, and they will get motivated. This is what this is one of the uh, again. I, I think this is the a foundational idea of continuous delivery. This, I, I've already referred to it. Have an idea, get that idea in the form of software into the hands of users, and figure out what they make of it. The figure out what they make of it is absolutely vital. The feedback channel. Yes. You've got, and how do you get that data? Well, you can get it by sitting next to them and watching them. You can ask them questions afterwards. You can have, you know. Uh, 
experimental labs where you watch them through you know one-way mirrors if you want you can get telemetry from from your production systems and and measure what they're doing you can do a b testing and measure those sorts of all of those are just mechanisms to establish that feedback loop awesome yeah and so let's talk a little bit about the feedback loop seats continuous delivery and regulatory safety because yes. i think you have some really interesting things to say about this a lot of people say wait a minute i'm in a regulated field i can't do continuous deployment or delivery because yeah. it's regulated yeah what do you say to that so one of the ideas that is at the heart of continuous delivery is the idea of the deployment pipeline and the deployment pipeline is a mechanism and a process which through which all change destined for production flows immediately if you're a software developer like me, that means uh, I've got things going on in my head now thinking, okay, well, if, if everything's going through that route, then I can do things with that information. <laughs> uh, so I want to make that efficient. I want to I I build it in. My background is as, as in the last few years of my, my career before I became a consultant was, um, was building, working in finance industries. So we were building, working in heavily regulated industries and finance. Since I've become a consultant, I've worked in a few other regulated industries, gambling, healthcare, uh, as well. Mm -hmm. In all of those industries, what they're looking for really is they're looking for some sort of reliability, some sort of insight into the change that's going on to production systems. Yes. If all of your change is flowing through a deployment pipeline, you can measure that. Mm. It's almost impossible to conceive of building a functioning deployment pipeline that doesn't give you complete end-to-end -end traceability of change to your system. Mm -hmm. We're gonna automate everything. We're gonna configuration manage everything. What better audit of your system is than saying that this version of this script was run at this time yeah. in order to achieve this end. Mm -hmm. It's definitive, mm -hmm. uh, and so so you're generating data out of the pipeline for auditors. Absolutely, but we, we, we've got this. We've got this complete audit trail. My experience of dealing with regulators. So, so I, because I'm reasonably well known in the field of continuous delivery, I've, I've sometimes got pulled in to describe this to auditors and yeah. regulators. Mm -hmm. uh, and my experience has been almost universally the same every time that this has happened. Uh, the first stance is. You want to release how often? Are you insane? Uh, and then we start describing. We start, we, st we start demonstrating the kind of information that we can provide that gives complete end-to-end -end traceability. And essentially, we blow them away. Yeah. We, can, we so, we so outperform yes. any regulatory demand that they can think of yeah. that they become converts. Mm -hmm. And that's been my experience so far. I am working with a very large client at the moment in the healthcare space. Uh, and we are working on what we're calling um, continuous compliance. We are building compliance into our deployment pipelines. This was true of the LMAC system too. It was much harder for us to release software that was non-compliant because it would mean that we had to break our deployment pipeline than it was to release software that was compliant mm -hmm. with complete an, a complete automated audit trail end to end. I think this is the gold standard for compliance. That's I don't fantastic. see what else you would, you would want. Yeah, it's fantastic. I love it. Um, yeah, LMAX, again, was a high-performance stock exchange that you, you worked on. Yes. And, uh, and, and all of these areas, whether it's finance or healthcare or others, they require this stuff. And what you said made yeah. perfect sense what I've always done, too. You work with the auditors up front yes. to figure out what do you need, and then you then you reverse engineer and go, okay, well, how yes. can we provide this? Yeah. And when I, what I love about CD is, Every change is a little change. Yes. It's not, oh, we released 100 changes into production, and yes. who knows what's going to break. 
Yes, that's really risky. That's 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 a that's a key part. You reduce risk by increasing the frequency of a change. If each change is small, it's simple, easy to reason about, low risk, and there's there's very strong data that organisations that increase the frequency of release reduce the frequency of defects in production. Oh yeah, the Dora that Dora data that you mentioned in your speech, yes. of course, and then I'm sure our other speeches. Dora is the DevOps research. Uh, association, association yes. yeah, wonderful data there. Yeah, oh, oh, excellent. For the first time, we have um, uh, sociological, scientifically valid, peer-reviewed uh, investigations into our industry that can predict the performance of your organisation based on characteristics of your organisation. You can look at things like, uh, do you do feature branches? In which case, you're going to create, going to go a bit slower and create more defects. I know that's. Uh, contentious but look at the data music to my ears uh, we've been doing trunk based development for many many years yes and love it awesome um, all right continuous compliance that is fantastic love it um, so you've also talked a little bit with me about um, your experiences with uh, psychological safety at yeah. LMAX yes. and uh, you mentioned something that you learned from your your wife Catherine yes uh, my, my wife is um, is uh, a management consultant of sorts, but she works specifically in um, social housing in the UK. Mm. So she works in these places that, that home people that are sometimes in difficult circumstances mm -hmm. and so on. Mm -hmm. And she goes and tries and improve um, the, the management practices really in those sorts of organisations. Specifically, she applies agile principles. So she's quite expert in this area. But she introduced me to this lovely idea, uh, an idea that, that's, that's, that comes from psychology called unconditional positive regard. So I, I start my assumption with interaction with anybody mm -hmm. on, on any level, assuming that they are competent, well-meaning, nice, capable people. Even if their viewpoints differ from mine, I assume that they have a valid viewpoint. I, start, I try to live my life by thinking about things that way. Even politicians? Even politicians, I'm going to start. It's very difficult sometimes, but even politicians, I'm going to start from yeah. that assumption. When people start to prove that they are not <laughs> those things, I might start treating them differently. But I'm not going to start from the assumption that they're idiots. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Even politicians. Yes, yes, yes. Beautiful. I've I've never heard it called this unconditional positive regard. It's beautiful. Um, Norm Kurth in his book on on project retrospectives. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, back in the '90s, was when he wrote that book. Um, he he talked about a similar concept, which is uh, just basically I can't remember his exact words, but it, it was basically assume uh, assuming uh, generally good intent that yes. people that people assume they have good intent and 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 start there. Yes, so it's, very, it's exactly the same. It's the, it's the same idea. And yes. and so at LMAX, uh, which was the high the high frequency stock exchange there yeah. in the UK. Um, how did this manifest itself? How did, how did psychological safety um, work? I, 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 think, I think that there are a variety of ways. I think one of the ways in which you would cat categorize the way that in which our team worked was an extremely high trust environment. Mm. And, and that's difficult. It takes time to establish that. Mm -hmm. And you have to be sensitive to new people coming in because most people aren't used to those kinds of environments. But one of the attributes of that that I'm... I was very proud of is that I, I, I think of one of the characteristics of my team at LMAX as, as, um, as being um, a meritocracy for ideas. So, so mm. I, I was the person, my, my job title was head of software development. I worked most days, work, you know, 
same as everybody else writing software, but that was my job title. I was responsible for hiring people and ultimately firing people if, if, if such a thing happened, um, and you know, uh, doing performance reviews or at least organizing them and coordinating them, recommending people for pay rises and things like that. That was part of my job. Mm -hmm. And yet, if I came up with an idea that somebody thought was stupid, uh, the most junior person, member of the team would feel comfortable enough to say, that's stupid. Mm -hmm. And then they'd tell me why. Mm. Because they knew that, that I wasn't going to take personal offence that mm. they thought my idea was stupid. You know, we would then try and beat on the idea and find out why it was stupid. And if they could, they could demonstrate that it was stupid, we'd try something else. We'd come up with some better ideas. Mm -hmm. Equally, if uh, another member of the team said, this is also difficult in some ways. Uh, if a, the most junior member of the team came up with an idea that was stupid, I could say that's stupid without them feeling belittled by it. How did you know that was true? That's, well, the, the, it takes a long time, and one of the things that we had to be very sensitive of was not new people coming in. Yeah. Because it was very easy if I couldn't just go to somebody and say, your idea is stupid, because that's going to shut them up. Sure. One of the ways in which we could tell it was true is because if I said your idea was stupid, they'd argue with me mm -hmm. and tell me why, okay. why I was wrong okay, and sh demonstrate it. And the next time they'd still be coming up with ideas. So you didn't have people shutting down? We didn't have people shut. We were, we were very sensitive mm. to the fact that it was very easy. From, from externals, occasionally external people would look at our team and they would say that we were arrogant. And I don't think that was the case because we would argue so much about ideas and we would, we would defend our ideas very strongly. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But uh, uh, what, what, what's, what's, the, what's the phrase? Um, uh, um, strong opinions lightly held. All oh, right, right, right. Yes, yes, beautiful. So, so onboarding was a, was a thing for you guys. Was oh, yes, we took you, it very serious. Yeah, you'd really help them get into your culture. Yes. And, uh, and that's vital. Yes. Did you have absolutely. working agreements written down, or, or was that more uh, informal and just... It was, it was more informal, mm -hmm. but, but, we, we, but we had a fairly consistent approach to the way in which we, we onboarded. We, yeah. we, we did, we did high levels of pairing, not, so not just pair programming, but pairing with different mixes of people oh, across nice. the teams. Yeah. We did pair rotation where people would move about. Mm -hmm. On your first day of joining our team, if you were a developer, you would write software that went into production at the weekend. Beautiful, um, beautiful. Uh, and and all of these things would bring them in. We 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 did have regular meetings. We had retrospectives and, mm -hmm. and team meetings, mm -hmm. um, often involving cake because uh, <laughs> eating together helped yeah. bond people as mm -hmm. well. Sure. Uh, and what people got to observe, new people got to observe, was this high trust environment. They got to see, you know, somebody arguing with me, and there being no, you know retaliation or anything mm. like that or, or with anybody else I'm, I'm not just yeah. pointing out to me sure. but they got to see the safety so it was safe. and that breed that in itself breeds safety and starts to bring them in and at some points which is fuzzy and difficult to identify you you start to be able to you know include those people in that high trust relationship so to me again like what you're saying is the safety is critical for for the team to um be able to like really get good ideas going and and, and knock off the bad ideas. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, 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 I think I think in some ways it goes a bit deeper than that. So mm -hmm. so, I, so I'm I'm am a sports fan. My my, my my sport is 
football, soccer for Americans. Yes, yeah, soccer. Uh, and football. my sports team is Manchester United, who are one of the greatest soccer teams in the world. I've never heard of them. No, I have, actually. I'm, sorry. <laughs> I'm not that ignorant of an American. <laughs> so if you want if you want to if you want to do something world class, if you want to be if you want to be world class performers in any field, then it's going to take an in all, all every every kind of technique, tactic, lever that you can pull, you're going to pull. And, and you want to get the best out of people. I, I think software development is an intensively creative activity. Mm -hmm. And we, we, we often dismiss that and don't think about it. Yeah. And if you want to be creative, then what you have to do is you have to foster an environment where people can be innovative and come up with wacky ideas and, 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 and try them out. Try them out. Um, and, and if you want to do that, you've got to be able to select people carefully. You've got to help grow them and nurture them and, and allow them to have fun mm -hmm. so that they're playing because that's when human beings are at their most creative. Mm -hmm. We did in we did some some lovely things in, in terms of in terms of creative creativity. And we had so much fun. There were times when I would go away on holiday and I'd come back from holiday looking forward to going to work. I, I've never quite had that experience. That's before. fantastic. So everything you're saying to me is just uh, right right there. It's just like Creating a safe environment for people to work in, yep. uh, experimenting and learning rapidly through yep. uh, the continuous deployment pipeline, trying things out, yep. but having fun and playing with how do you make the wow experience for the user? How do you yeah. create that awesome experience that uh, makes them love your software? So, so I, 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 th I think that's about the, the, the feed. You know, I, I think of a lot of these things so from an engineering discipline to bring it back to my conference talk. Mm. So, so, so I think a lot of these things are about establishing feedback loops, so yes, giving yes. us an opportunity to learn. Yes. So you've got to establish that channel of communication mm. back from users yeah. in order to be able to learn and adapt. You've got to, uh, you've got to work on, you've got to create high quality work you, you can't you can't ignore quality mm. if I want to release some change into the hands of my users I want to know whether they dislike it because it's a bad idea rather than just because it's a poor implementation yeah right and so I'm going to do a very good implementation as quickly and as effectively and as cheaply as I can mm -hmm. but I'm going to get it into the into the hands of users as early as I can so that I can learn yeah, it could be a small percentage of users. Of absolutely, course, right? we, we know absolutely. There are lots of techniques, there. and lots of different techniques. But it's but you, uh, I find it very valuable to think very explicitly about these feedback loops. And these days, whatever it is that I'm doing, if, if if we're talking about you know in a retrospective and we say our stand ups are we're doing stand ups and they're not working very well. Okay, so what's the experiment? What are we going to try? And how are we going to get feedback from that? How are we going to understand whether that was a good idea or a bad idea? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think this is pervasive. You, you, yeah. you want to apply this sort of technique to everything that we do, pretty much. Excellent. Well, I, I thank you. I think uh, we've uh, covered a lot of territory and uh, heard some awesome things. Unconditional positive regard, um, continuous compliance, and uh, the, the wonderful psychological safety you guys had in your LMAX team and the, the fostering that wow experience and... Um, test driven development and all the wonderful things. It's just, it's a pleasure to talk with you. Uh, kindred spirit and uh, thanks for watching. Thanks for, uh, for being here at Yale and uh, pleasure to meet you. Great, pleasure. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Bye-bye. Great stuff.